If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 6. Golly, it's so good to be back here today. I can't, I can't even fathom, like, I can't believe I'm, I'm back. It's been a while. Um, one week is way too much for me to miss church, guys. It's just, it's terrible. Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, look under your chairs. There should be Bibles under your chairs. And if you don't have one, that's yours to take home. You can keep that for yourself. The scripture should be on the screen behind me as well. If you're t- those type of people that like to look back there. If you're a Facebookaholic, and I know you are because I see your post, you can go ahead and check in on Facebook on the Facebook page for Impact City Church. And the scripture for today is actually posted uh, just, just a second ago. And so it'll be there for you. Uh, when you get there. Today, we're going to be talking, I'm just going to lay it out there, guys, all right? I'm just going to lay it all out there. Today, we're talking about the one word in church you don't want to hear. Today, we're talking about money. Congratulations, you made it to the one church service you wish you would have missed. (laughs) But before you freak out, let me explain. There is a couple of reasons why, in fact, there's three reasons why we, the church, especially Impact City Church, need to have real conversations about the teachings in the Bible about money and finances. There are some real reasons, and none of the reasons I'm about to give you have to do with the fact that we have to pay rent. None of them have to do with that fact. The first reason is this, is that nothing else has the power to pull you away from Jesus like money does. Nothing else has that power. There's other sins that you can go through, and this is the one sin that gives you, that that can pull you away further from Jesus than any other out there. Money is a motivator, okay? It can get people to do almost anything that it wants them to do. And ultimately, it can get people to push Jesus away and pursue money instead. And sadly, the church has done a pretty poor job at addressing this threat to the kingdom for fear of losing people which in turn puts us in the same boat as money being the motivator to make us do things to push Jesus away. Many churches won't preach about money because they don't want to upset people and cause them to leave, which in turn means that they don't get money in tithes and offerings to pay the bill. It just means that they close down. See, money is a motivator. Even the church is not immune to money. Everyone has this, this understanding that money is needed. Jesus knew that it was a volatile threat to the kingdom of God. He he knew that. He knew it so much so that 11 out of the 39 parables in the Bible told by Jesus have to do with money. Now that's, that's like a third of the parables have to do with money. You better listen when Jesus talks about money. He probably knows more about money than Dave Ramsey. And so we're going to just kind of go there, okay? Um, not this and Dave, okay? I say, and then the other thing about money is that one out of every seven verses in the book of Luke have to do with money. One out of seven verses in the book of Luke. Luke was a physician. Do you think he understood what money was? Yes, he was a very smart guy. So much so that when he was writing his account about Jesus, there was one out of seven verses that Jesus spoke to him and, and kind, of, kind of revealed to him something about money. The second thing that we need to know, this is why we need to talk about money, is that we want to be a generous church. We want to be a church that is generous. Say that with me, generous. The early church in the New Testament lived out in such a way that nobody was without need. Nobody in the church, members of the church, people of the body of of Christ back then, no one was without need. And they did this because each member was generous in what they had and what they did with their money. 
You can read it in Acts chapter 4, verses 34-35. It says here in Acts chapter 4, it says that there was not a needy person among them, for many as were owners of land or households sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the feet of the apostles, and it was distributed, distributed to each of them as had need. We want to be a church that's like that. We want to be a church that's like that. We want to be a church that never has to say no because of a lack of funds to someone in need. Let me tell you, it breaks my heart when I know that there are people of the church, members of the church, committed people who come to the church every Sunday. They serve, they're involved, they're connected to the community here. And they come and say, Pastor, I have this need. Can you help out in some way? And I have to sit there with this sad look in my face and say, no, because we can't pay rent this week. We don't have the money to do that. And we simply don't have it because the church simply isn't giving. It hurts to see someone in need and not be able to help them because the church as a body is not unified and acting like the body of Christ that you're all called to be. Listen, all around Texas and in the city, Impact City Church is known for various things. Great things, some bad things, but various things that we're known for in the, church, in, in the city. We're known for being missional. We were the very first church to introduce missional communities in Corpus Christi Church. Since then, other churches have followed through, and this whole uh, idea of doing missional community over a Bible study or adapting a Bible study within a missional community, living in biblical community with people having the same heartbeat with everyone else, was new to Corpus Christi. We were known for being the very first church to do that. We were known for being radical and different. We think outside the box because God cannot be contained in a box. And that's what we're known for. When they said, what are you going to do? You want to do, use my church for baptisms? They told us, Alexa, like, no, nah, I'm going to get a trough, fill it with water. We're going to do baptisms out there by SBID. They're like, why? I said, because everyone needs to see baptisms. Like, that's what we're calling. We think outside the box. Where we go live with our baptisms on Facebook? Because it's a public declaration of faith. They're like, well, what are you going to do for a church building? I'm like, I don't know. We'll meet inside the hotel. What are you going to do for the kids? I don't know. We'll put them in the bar area. No one uses it on Sunday. We just do church. We do that. We're known for being radical and different. We're known for being great at outreach. God knows we know how to party. We can throw it down. We can throw it down. We went, we went to some of the uh, government housing complexes over on the other side of town, and we have thrown some of the best outdoor movie nights that those kids have ever seen. We even had Spider-Man show up one time. It was awesome. We're known for being a church that knows how to party, and we have a lot to celebrate. Amen? If you're a Christian, you should be a partier because you have a lot to celebrate. God has come into your life. He has saved you. you I mean, you're, you need to dance. You need to, like, get up crazy. Like, that is what we are known for. We are great at outreach. We are great at telling people. We are great at doing door-to-door. We are great at doing that. We are known for that. We are known for being a prayerful church. We are a church that prays a lot. And if you're not praying for the church, and I encourage you to pray more and try to get involved in that as much as you can because we are known in the community as a church that prays a lot. But what we are not known as is a church that is generous. If you were to ask any church, what do you think about Impact City Church? The word generous and giving will probably not be there. We are generous with our time. We are generous with the way we serve. We are not generous with our money because we just simply don't have it in the church moving on third and most importantly we all struggle with handling our finances in light of the word of god 
We all struggle with handling and, and budgeting our finances in light of the Word of God. Now, you may handle your finances very well. There are some of us here in this building who are very good at handling money. You are very good, but in light of God's way, you suck. It's something I had to learn, too. That I may think I'm good at the way I handle my finances, but the way that I should handle them according to God's way is so off from where he wants me to be. And you may be handling them well according to other people's standards, but according to God, you're not there. We have a lot of room to grow there. We can't let our struggle to obey God in this area keep us from talking about it, though. We have to move forward. We have to keep going. We have to keep going. That God takes us, uh, takes how we use our money very seriously. We saw that. 11 out of 39 parables. 1 out of 7 verses. That's what I want us to focus on today, though. Is how do we handle our money? How do we handle our finances? I've come up here before, and I've done sermons on tithing. I've done sermons on money. And if you guys remember, you can look it up on YouTube. I took like eight pounds of Skittles, and I used it as an illustration to talk about how, how God will bless you abundantly. And I poured eight pounds of Skittles all over the floor, but I'm done playing games. Because money makes war for our hearts. Money has a very godlike ambition to desire your worship of it more than it wants you to worship anything else. And something that is that dangerous to your heart, it's something that makes war with your heart, is automatically at war with Jesus. He has bought our hearts with his blood. And he is not going to stand by and allow anything, especially money, to take over our hearts from him. Church, you and me have a heart problem. And many of us are doing okay with it. And you're, you're handling it well. You're putting God first. And you're treating that heart problem okay. But many of us are doing very bad. You're in the ICU fixing to pull the plug because you're, the way you handle your money is not right according to God. So before you, you disconnect, though, and you be like, well, this isn't about me, okay? I handle my money good. Before you, you say, well, because my 401k is set up, and I'm good in there, and I've made all my investments, and I'm, I got the stock market good, and I'm good at my investments, I'm good to go. Before you say, well, because I live in a nice home, and I manage my monthly bills well. Before you say that I have a side business that pays for all my luxuries, that's why it's, it's handled, it's taking care of all the things that I have extra in my life. Before you say that, um, you know, you can manage and execute a budget like Dave Ramsey's son-in-law. I mean, like before you're that good, you know, before you can make it rain up in the club, and some of you won't get that. Um, before all of that, I challenge you with this. When was the last time that you had your heart checked up on by God? When was the last time you had God check up on your heart and kind of compare yourself to what God wants? Today, I pray that God will check your heart and that the results will move you into action. I pray that God would reveal to us the things that we are treasuring more than him. And I pray that that we would experience the forgiveness from God for using money the wrong way in our lives. And I pray that God would begin to free us into levels of generosity that would bring levels of joy in our lives that we've never thought were possible. Let me tell you something. I will get more joy of emptying out my bank account for someone in need than I will for a house or a car or something like that. Let's get started. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, 19. 
and we're like, oh, man, where's the exit? 6.19 says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not steal or break in and steal. For there, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying plainly in Scripture, if you want to see where your heart, what your heart treasures, if you want to see what your heart longs for, simply follow your money. If you want to know what your heart values, if you want to know what your heart trusted, if you want to know what your heart is actually focused on, don't look at anything else in your life. Look at where your wallet and your checkbook is being spent at. Money has a unique ability, listen to this, has a unique ability to show our hearts for who they really are. It is a black and white thing. When we get down to money, it is the perfect image, a reflection of who we really are. Now, there are other scriptures in the Bible that command us to do other things, but they're a little more general in nature. Whether you obey them or whether you not fully obey them is subjective to how you obey them. Take, for instance, Colossians 3. Colossians 3 commands us to have the word of God dwell in us richly. Okay, that means that you need to have the Word of God in your heart every day. That you need to be reading your scripture every day and pouring and investing and studying and dwelling and soaking it up like a sponge. But you can argue that, that you could read the Bible more, but you already read at least once a day, maybe once a week. Maybe you read a scripture on Facebook, on your thread, and you say, well, I'm reading the Word of God, so I'm obeying the scripture I could do better, but ultimately, I'm meeting the bare requirements for this scripture. But take into, effect, uh, take into account Luke chapter 10, when it says, and it commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, you might say to yourself, man, I love some of my neighbors. Not the other guy down the street, but I love some of my neighbors. So technically, I love my neighbors as myself. And so you've kind of gotten off on that technicality that you're not giving 100%, but you're giving your, your, your 10% over here. So you're technically obeying God, but you're not fully doing it to the greatness that it could be there. You're off the hook. These are more general scriptures, okay? And you can throw over intentions and circumstances as to why you're not doing it or doing it or whatever it is. But ultimately, you're obeying God in some way there. You got a little bit. But money is different. Money is different. It is more honest with us about where our hearts are and where they want to be. Okay? When it comes to how we spend our money, there is not a lot of gray areas in that. There's not a lot of, well, I'm sort of spending it right. I'm not sort of, no. It's black or white. You're either spending it in the glory of God and doing it for the investment of the kingdom of God and, and honoring God with it, or you're not. It's black and white. You have receipts that are staring you in the face. You have that $60,000 truck or car that people see you drive, that $300,000 or $400,000 house that people see you live in. Plus, if you have a $400,000 house, that's awesome. Okay, um, if you, you have a number, you have a cost, you have a budget, and no matter what the circumstances are or intentions for why you did that number, that number will always be that number. You can't hide the fact that you spend so much on something. It's there. And those are not just numbers. That's not just a budget. It all points back to who you actually value in your life. It's a roadmap back to who you actually value in your life. And the data that 
uh, a data of what you spend money on isn't just information, it's the truth. What we spend our money on tells us whether or not we actually treasure God in our lives. Think about this. You can read your Bible, you can pray, you can attend church constantly, yet none of those will reveal your heart towards God like money will. You might say, like, I see that person, she's always in church, she's always here, but that doesn't really tell me what her heart is. It just tells me that she's here at church. You can say, I know that person, every time we gather for women's Bible study, she's like all good on her scriptures, she knows them, she can quote them, but just because she can quote scripture doesn't mean that she has God in the middle of her heart because the demons could quote scripture as well. But money is the black and white. Money is, hey, I know that person. He must love Jesus because if you look at the way he spends his money, it's all about Jesus. The way he does it, it's all about putting Jesus first in the way he spends his money. Let me ask you this. How many of you guys have actually made a prayer, have, or before you made a major investment in something, prayed to God about it. How many of y'all have done that? Before you bought that car, did you stop and pray to God? Hey God, I, I wanted to make this investment. I know that you want me to have great things in my life. I know you want me to have joys in my life, and, and I get that. I work hard, and believe me, I busted my butt. But do you want me to have this car, or is this car going to pull me further away from you? Before you go and you buy a new house, Did you pray, Lord, make this house something great for your glory? Not for my glory. Not so I can have my office space or my, my, uh, my man cave or my sewing room. How many women sew? Like, uh, like your, I don't want that nice granite countertop kitchen. Does that honor God in any way? Did you pray before you made that investment? God, I know I'm buying this house. I know it's, it's going to, but will the payment of this house cause me not to give you your portion of my of your finances first. If going into this investment, is it going to pull me away from you? Or your, maybe your tattoo. I know that hurt, but some of us can't pay rent, but we'll get the tattoo first, you know? I can only see that in this church, by the way. What happens when we do that is that God is never first anymore. God becomes a distant third, fourth, or fifth in your life when it comes to the way you spend your money. Because you can't tithe to God if you're knee-deep in debt with your house payment. You can, but you're not going to make your house payment. And if you believe God to, tr- to provide for the house payment, you got another thing coming. Because he's going to be like, I never told you to buy that house. In fact, you were praying to me. I started making you feel like not doing this. And you were like, well, that can't be right. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe, maybe God's off today. Maybe he shouldn't be. Like, so I'm going to do it. You know, like you cannot follow God and do the things that God wants you to do if your finances are tied up in other things. Now, if you can, that's great. I know a lot of people who are rich, millionaires, and they put God first. And they still have that nice, beautiful home. But they still put God first. It's within their budget. I'm not telling you how to spend your money. I'm telling you the way we should spend our money should honor God first. Here's a question. Because we all have a heart problem. How can the people who generally want to love God and experience His presence, who love Him so much, how can they love Him so little with their finances? 
How can the people of God who love him so much and love to experience his presence in their lives, those of us who claim that we are Christians and we love Jesus and you're the one at work that's always preaching the Bible and you're the one that's always in your Bible study that's always quoting scripture, how can we as Christians claim that we are Christians yet love him so little with our finances? And the answer is this. Because money promises to be God for us. It promises us everything that God does, except with money, you get it now. You get it right when you want it. It says to you, I know God, I know God promises to always be with you. And he says that he'll always promise to provide for you. But doesn't it seem like God's failing you right now? Like maybe if you were to put a little more hours into work, maybe if you were to put a little bit more time into this other job, maybe if you were to do this, maybe if you were to just like, like quit serving the church and go do overtime at work. You know, quit coming to church on Sundays so you can work more Sundays in the morning. If you keep do, if you, if you just push them away, you'll have more of me and then you will be able to be provided for. Money also says to us, I know God has said he will always comfort you. He said that he will always be there, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be more comfortable to be in a newer home? Like, have you sat in a lazy boy? Like with plush leather? Have you sat in one of those things? It's comforting. Wouldn't it be nice to have that new car? Nothing beats a new car smell. That's comfort. When you walk into the dealership and you sit in the car, you take that first whiff, man, that smells good. That's comfort. So if you just stop giving to God, you can afford that new thing. See, money pulls us away from God all the time. If we allow it to. It will always pull us away from God because it promises us the same things that God promises except they're empty and they're fake. Money promises us everything immediately and tangibly but will always ex- exclude God. And Jesus knew that. Look what he says in uh, Matthew 6.24 again. F- further down. It says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve them both, both money and God. You cannot serve God and money. You can't. It's not even possible. Eventually, you would drift towards one or the other. Money is so appealing that it can get you to sin against, against God. It can get you to do those things. We all have different sins and struggles and idols that we're worshiping, but money can cater to all of those things. Money is that powerful. Do you struggle with approval? Money can get you that. Money can get you, oh, if you have enough money, everyone's going to approve of you because now you're the guy that pays for dinner when you go out. You know, what, you know what I'm saying? Do you struggle with control? Money can get you control. I tell you what, the more money you have, the more I'm going to listen to you. You're going to be in control of anything because you have more money. You have more pull. Do you struggle with comfort? Money can buy you the best of everything, vacations, restaurants, anything that you want. Money can get that for you. How about power? Do you struggle with power? Do you struggle with pride? Man, we do that. We feel like, you know what, I'm not as much of a man as the other guy because he has a bigger bank account than me. Or he's established more. He is set up more. And so until I get up to that level, I am not that good. I don't have as much power as this guy. Money can solve that problem for you. You simply just got to get more of it. It promises you all of these things, but you don't need faith for them. You just need more money. 
And you don't have to wait for them. You just have to work harder for them and sacrifice everything to get them. You don't have to, you don't have the cash. You can, if you have the cash, you can own it by anything you want. But Jesus knows that that is wrong in our hearts. And he knows that those things that money can buy you are similar to what he can give you, but they're the knockoff brand. I have a, a, a family member that loves to buy name brand stuff. He will not even dare look at the off brand thing because in his mind, he thinks it's worse. And ultimately, yeah, probably not. You know what I mean? But what if he's right? Like what if the name brand does a lot better job than the off brand? That's sort of what money does to us. God promises us the comfort, the, uh, the, uh, the approval, the, 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 the control you know, under him. He promises us all those things, but they're more real. Look back at verse 19. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. Jesus called all of these treasures on earth, he called them lies, okay? Because he knows that in our hearts, there really are treasures, but they're lies. All these lies, he knows that there are treasures to us. He's not questioning whether or not they're alluring or enticing. Yes, they're very alluring or enticing to us. All these things pull us away from him. But he is saying that they are unreliable and unsatisfying. That's why we can spend years and years and years pouring our finances into a home to one day having it be destroyed. It's only a matter of time before all these things let you down. Listen, church, the things that money can buy you will eventually leave you hopeless. They will. That beautiful, nice home you got, I don't know if you've been up to the hood lately, but all those are nice, beautiful homes one time. That new car you got, and if you've been by, driven by a junkyard, they crash. They break down, especially if it's a Ford. You know, it's like all of these things happen. Burn. See, we know this, though. We've heard it story after story after story of rich people saying how unhappy they are in life. And if, you don't, if you're not rich, you can say, like, well, that's their problem. I would be happy. But it's proven time and time and again that the more you have in life does not equal the more you have in spiritual happiness. It doesn't equal that. Yet, time and time after again, we find ourselves stuck with the struggle of money and loving it more than God. Because the truth is, we cannot stop treasuring the things that we can tangibly hold in our hands. we rather see something and hold it and say, I will put my trust in this new thing in my life. I will put my comfort and I will get my joy out of this one thing versus finding your joy in the Lord. We are hardwired by God to treasure something, but it's not the things of this world. We are hardwired by Him to treasure something, which is why time after time we go seeking things of this world when all, the, all along God is saying, the hole in your heart is for me. Don't fill it up with something else. I know right now you're probably squirming in your seats, though. You're like, man, I should have left whenever he started praying. And he had his head down, eyes closed. But I want you to hear this. Jesus was not rebuking us for wanting treasure or saying, that we should, or saying that we shouldn't spend our money. He is challenging us to go after true treasure and to spend our money on the right things. He was challenging us to realize 
that what we want to spend our money on is too small. Your goals for your money, and you can have big goals, if God's not there, you're thinking too small. God has bigger and greater plans for your finances. I'm not saying that you can have a bigger and better house. I'm saying that feeding people is more better than buying that bigger and better house. Now, if you can do both, do both. But if you're struggling to do one, which is the God thing, and you rather do the other, now you've pushed God away and followed after his emptiness. God wants us to think higher for our finances. Look at verse 20. It says, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus wants you to put your money towards something that is of higher investment than the, than the stock market here, or the higher investment of other things here on this earth. All too often we view being generous as losing something here on this earth, but in all reality, when Jesus sees us being generous, he's actually saying that you are investing in something higher and bigger and better. Yet, according to Jesus, we're going to lose those things eventually anyway. Last night, Sarah and I went out to the movies. Uh, thank you, Myers, for watching uh, uh, Skylar for us. But we went out to the movies. We saw a movie called Money Monster with Julia Roberts and uh, George Clooney, the guy who still acts the same in every movie. But, like, the whole purpose was, like, this love of money of the world. But this guy like invested $800 million into something and it went flat in like two seconds with a glitch of a computer. Money will always leave us down. There's no gain in those things that is forever. They can't give you what you want forever and they eventually will fail you, the things of this earth. When you die, you cannot take those things with you. Shoot, some of you people will not even be able to take those things over to next year. You change an iPhone, it lasts you like two years and it dies automatically. The things of this world can hold great value, but ultimately they do not last. And we need to know that and have that in our mindset. Did you hear about the, the kid who uh, broke the $15,000 Lego statue this past week? Did you hear about that? Okay, so there's a movie called Zootopia, and there's a guy in there, I think his name is Nick, he's a fox. And this guy spent days and like literally $15,000 worth of Legos, which is just mind-blowing to me. I'm building this life-size statue of this character from the movie Zootopia. And he took it to this exhibit, okay? He transferred over to this exhibit. And within one hour, and you parents are, who have kids, you know it. Within one hour, this kid got away from his parents, went under the rope, and smashed the $15,000 uh, Lego set that the guy had built. Days upon investing, thousands of dollars he spent on this. One second of a kid pushing it over. Just goes to show you red ropes do not hold any kids back. <laughs> Jesus wants to give us bigger and better things than that. Things that are going to last against the trials of this life, trials of this world. See, he put a longing for eternity in our hearts that no treasure here on earth can ever fully satisfy i know what you're thinking right now those are the things that i want though those are the things that are going to bring me joy in my life but we're wrong god brings us joy and if you're putting god first he will work through things to bring you joy but you can't go through those things to get to god first we have a heart problem 
Our heart problem develops when we try to satisfy ourselves with the things of the world instead of the things of God. In the New Testament, God motivates his people by giving us a reminder of the future every time we give out of ourselves. He reminds us of all the promises that Jesus paid for for us on the cross every time we are generous with our finances. Jesus died for our sin, and he gave us God's favor forever. All of God's promises came through Christ. All of that came to us. God's future promises are the motivation for our present generosity. That is why we are generous, because it reminds us of the future that is to come. Jesus always said for us to look to the future, and that's why he said it, because in the future, God was coming. In the future, he was coming back. In the future, was forever and eternity. He said, don't worry about the present-day things. Keep in mind the future. He says, I'm going to give you uh, a few texts in, in the chapter of Luke, and one out of every seven. You need to know this. It's important. I'm going to tell you 11 out of 39 parables about money in the future so you can know how to do it right. I'm going to do this for you. Luke chapter 12, 32 says this, says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has ple- is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where there are no thieves to come and no moths to destroy. And he also goes on to tell us in 1 Timothy uh, 6, 17 through 19. It says, Command those who are rich in the present world which, by the way, we're all rich in this room today. I don't know where you're at in life, but we are the top, like, 1% to 2% of the world. So quit crying. We got it. You got a lot more than most people do. And so he says, uh, command those who are rich, which is basically saying, command the church here, all of us here today, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope into wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope into God, who richly provides with us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That sounds like a kid's rules. But be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. God motivates us by saying our generosity will make sense to us when we see the treasures we get in the next life. Your best life now is crud. Your best life later to come is truth. God wants us to have treasures, and he talks about us having all the desires of our heart in heaven. Not now. Just wait. Be patient. Something far more better is to come. And here in 1 Timothy, are you at that part, actually. Generosity reminds us that there is more to come later on in life. Letting go of the things that, are, that you're giving your money to opens up greater things for the future for us. Okay? There's a coming a day when Christ will come back, he will return, and all believers will join up with him up in the clouds and enter into heaven. And on that day, you will see Jesus and everything that was lost here on this earth that you felt was so important to you. Every time that you, that, that, everything that you turned down to gain Jesus instead will make sense to you. And every time you were like, I'm so disappointed, I wanted this thing so bad here on earth, but holy cow, that's Jesus. Forget that thing. I want Jesus instead. 
It will all make sense to you. The generosity to, to your local church, when you give to your local church, that is you preaching to your heart that you are part of a family that will last forever. And that is more important than your current situation now in your life. It will outlast every biological family member around you when you give to the church. Generosity to the poor preaches to your heart that Jesus became poor for us, that in his poverty we might become rich in God. Jesus was poor. And if we're to be like Jesus, I'm not saying we should be poor. I'm just saying we should spend our money the way he would want us to. And it reminds us of the fact that he gave up everything for us. Everything, the riches and the glory of God sitting at his right hand for us. And here we are struggling whether I should give to the church or whether I should pay my car bill. Whether I should give to the church or whether I should do this. It wasn't even a question for him. He willingly came, stripped off all of his glory, stripped off all of his righteousness to become human for us. He became poor for us so that we can gain the the riches in heaven generosity to the nations when we give to missions and around the world means that hearing the gospel preached them for the first time preaches to our hearts that we are part of god's mission to rescue people from all over the world who who need to be dwelling with him in heaven when we invest in something bigger and greater we get a higher return on our investments but generosity causes you to decrease your eating out, to downsize your home, or create a way for your payments to be lower so you can give more to the church, to decrease your hobbies so you can do more for the church. You're preaching to your heart that God is greater than all of these things that you're banking on and that He is ultimately the better option. But you won't do that unless you actually physically start doing that. And you won't believe it. You won't see it. It might be a struggle for some of us. But until we put our foot forward and start doing it, you're not going to understand it. I know some of you right now are beginning to consider all this, though. At least I hope so. And truth be told, you're probably a little scared. Because I know and I'm praying that, that in, in your mind you're thinking about that one thing in your life that you know that you probably shouldn't be investing in and maybe you should be putting more into Jesus with. And it's in your mind you're probably scared. You're probably thinking about things. You may be thinking in order for me to live like this and to lead my family like this, man, we're supposed to lead our families. You've got to take that first step, man. If we're supposed to do this, then what would have to change in my life? And change is scary. What would have to change in our lives? What would, have to, what would we have to give up in order to do this for Jesus? We all are cool with following Jesus, but until we have to give something up, whoa, hold on. I don't know about that. What about that debt that we still haven't dealt with, that's still sucking our finances out? What would that mean for that? What about those of us who, are, or who have that spending habit that you just can't imagine giving up? You're like, but pastor, every Friday night we go out to the, to the movies. Every Friday night we do this. Every Friday we, we, we do this. This is a family thing. It brings us family together. Like, dude, freaking Redbox, man. Like, Redbox and a popcorn and a microwave. You can have just as much fun in your home. Maybe you're thinking about the thing in your life, in your mind, that has always been off limits to God. 
You know that one thing in life that's always off limits to God? Like, God, I give you everything, just don't touch my house. God, I give you everything, just don't touch my drinking habit. I give you everything, just don't touch my car. I give you everything, just don't touch my awesome sound system and TV. LED, baby, curve. You know, like, I give you, I give you everything, just don't touch that. And maybe you're starting to feel God saying, yeah, that's wrong, and you know that, and I'm moving in your heart right now to do something about that. I want you to know that as your pastor, I understand all that fear. Because whenever Sarah and I were first married and we were first starting to go to church, I had that fear. We did. We didn't know what we were going to do. Paper and pen, we would be short on rent every month if we started giving 10% to the church. But every month, every month, God provided a way, whether it was through, you know, actually of overtime in the week for me, whether it was through a family blessing us with a meal so we didn't have to spend money that night. Every week. And we had times where we couldn't even go out. We had times where we couldn't put gas in the, in the truck that my dad gave me. And it was a great blessing, but I couldn't even afford the gas in it because it was a gas guzzler V8. Awesome truck, by the way. <laughs> but we put God first. Continually put him first. Continually, always put him first. And we got to the point where we started saying that it's not that we can't, aff- you know, that we can't afford to tithe. Now we say we can't afford not to tithe. Because if I don't tithe, if I don't give my, my percentage to God, I know I'm screwed. I know my, I'm not going to make it that month. I know I'm going to struggle. And the truth is, many of you guys are struggling because you're not putting God first. It's truth. I've been burdened for us to find a way to do ministry more. And while we've gotten comfortable with giving to God and being provided for, I feel like God's saying, okay, you're comfortable. Let me shake you up some more. It's time for you to rely on me even more. Let me tell you something. You will never become comfortable with God. He will always push you to deeper and deeper and deeper waters. But leaving my job and trusting the church to be, and just to be honest with you, leaving my job and trusting everyone to provide for my needs so I can be more available to the church, it's just not even an option right now. There's wisdom to be used in every decision that you make. I know God will ultimately care for us, but honestly, taking the next step is hard. And whatever next step you're going to take after you walk out this door, it's going to be hard. As you drive home with your families, you're going to have that conversation of, what is, man, that guy's crazy at church. What does he ask? Like, what does he want? Does he really want me to do that crap? Like, seriously? Yes. I want you to do whatever it is that's going to push you to be uncomfortable, to see the kingdom of God grow, and to see something greater in your life become reality in your life. I want you to do that because until you don't, until you do that, you're not living. You're not fully doing the greatness that you could be doing. I'm promising you, great things happen if you continually put God first. Now let me end with this. Some encouragement and a little bit of a challenge to you guys. First off, the encouragement, because I see you guys are like fixing to have mutiny against me. And that is this. Jesus died for all our sins, including our financial sins. Okay? So you might be feeling guilty or shame because you haven't been living with Jesus first in your life. 
Okay, maybe you've been robbing God lately, and you've been like, man, I, I chose to do this instead of put God first. Let me tell you, there is forgiveness for that. You need to know that. You need to know, because that was one thing that, that me and Sarah had to wrestle with, was like, man, for, you know, for the first eight years of our marriage, we were not putting God first. Like, oh my God, we had, like, how could we be so stupid? But God had forgiveness for that. Maybe you've been robbing God of his tithe for years. Your first thought is to, maybe your first thought is to give God a, a whole lot of money so he'll love you. That's not how it works. You simply just have to be obedient from this point on. He forgives you for all those years that you've wasted. All those treasures that you poured into more than him. He forgives you for those things. The only generosity that can save your life in the eyes of God is the generosity that he gave us with his son, Jesus Christ. You don't give to be loved. You're loved because he gave. We need to know that today. God has already loved us first because he gave you Jesus. And when it comes to our finances and generosity, all of God's people start with grace. You don't start in debt with him. You don't start with uh, a sense of needing him because like, you're in debt to him. You start with him giving you everything first. We all start there. Now, so we give, we are generous, not to earn some type of you know, recognition from God, but simply because he has already acknowledged us. You give because he has given you everything first. God doesn't need your money. He owns everything, but he wants our heart, and the way through our heart is through our finances. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The most important thing in this world is money. The most important thing, that important person, per, important person that's God. But the most important thing is money. You need money to live. You need money to eat. You need money for shelter in your your life. Why wouldn't God want his hand on that in your life? If you can trust God with anything else, why don't you trust him with the most important thing in your life? God doesn't want anything like that. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. Church, I'll challenge you with this now. And we'll close. Where is your treasure? Jesus does not want you to be convicted today and walk out of this room and think, man, I, I'm, I, I suck as a person. Listen, sin is in us and it's so deep inside of us that we will make every excuse not to follow through with this challenge. He doesn't want you to feel convicted. He wants you to feel loved and encouraged, but he wants you to go through with this next challenge. He lavishes us with grace and love, and grace is not lifeless. Grace produces a change in our hearts. So right now you might have felt convicted. Now you're feeling the love of Christ, that Jesus loves you enough to to forgive you for all the things that you have maybe messed up on, and that grace needs to move you to change something. And I want us to all do this. If you're taking notes, please write this down. I want us to to go through these specific steps. I don't want to leave you with, Hey, you know what, just, just give more money. I don't want to leave you with that. I want to leave you with some specific things for you to do. The first thing I want you to do, I want you to take some time to look at your budget this week. Maybe this afternoon. Look at where you've spent your money just this past year. Okay? Just look over your budget, kind of break it down, write a little chart, get your little crayon out, draw a little picture. Where have you put your money this past year? And I want you to be honest with yourself by asking and looking at your past expenses, what do you actually value? Like looking at your expenses, what do you actually value in life? Be honest with yourself, ask you that question. Number three, 
Keep in mind, um, keeping in mind what Jesus said, that your money is the most uh, indicative thing that will hold your heart, ask yourself these questions. Do you actually treasure him, yes or no? And that's a yes or no question. That's not a submissive, you know, yes or no. Do you actually treasure him? Based upon your finances, are you spending money like this life is not home? Are you spending it as if this life is, is, is just temporary? Or are you spending it as if this is all you got? And then C, have you made good things like retirement or a savings account more important than being generous? Listen, those things are great. You need to have them. I would be an idiot not to tell you not to do those things. But are you putting God first before those things? Ultimately, your retirement's not going to save you. Your 401k is not going to save you. The future of your life is not based upon the finances you're going to have after you retire. It's based upon Jesus. Put him first, and he will provide all those things for you. Put him second, those things will crumble under your feet. And four, be honest and bring someone else into your life on this for accountability. You cannot do this alone. We were not made to live life alone. We were made to live life in fellowship with other people. So you married couple, that's not, that's not your wife, that's not your husband, okay? I don't have your wife hold you accountable for how you spend your money. Get someone older, more wiser, someone who is more established to guide you through this and say, yeah, you guys are not living for God, let's get you back on track. I'd say find someone in your missional city group, your small group, your Mary and Martha Bible Explorer group, find someone in there. Did I say it right? Okay. Find someone in that group to lead you through that. And don't be ashamed of what your finances look like. Be encouraged that there is someone who loves you enough to sit down with you and help you straighten that out. That's like, the, the, like, that's like meeting number two in our marriage counseling thing. We spend the most time on that when I do marriage counseling. Is your money set up where God is first? Seek those things. This would be a challenge for us to do. But we have to be honest with our hearts here and say that, that we need that help. No matter what you find, no matter how rebellious your heart may be, remember that Jesus promises us that he is the true treasure, that he is better than anything else. And if we put him first, everything else will fall into place. Listen, your generosity is not going to go unnoticed. Your generosity is not going to go unnoticed. And he sees everything and he promises to invest that into the kingdom for you. And one day you will know that when you're standing before him and you see his face, and you see what you have stored up in heaven for him. As a church, we have the power to change the world through obedient tithes and obedient offerings and obedient uh, giving. We have the power to do that as a church. And then we're saying, but, but pastor, if I give to the church, it will it'll leave a hole in my budget. If I give to the church, it will leave a hole, and I won't have enough to, 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 to pay my rent. I won't have enough to do my bills. Let me, let me ask you this. Next time that you think like that, Next time you think about the hole left in your budget because you put God first, think about the hole that is in the wrist of his son's hands when he gave his son for us. When you think about the hole that's going to be left in your expenses, think about the hole that was left in the side of his son Jesus when he hung on the cross for us. And then ask yourself, is what I'm giving even equal to that? It's not. Consider the hole in his side, consider the hole in his wrist, and consider the grace of forgiveness that he has for us and the truth that was spoken on his lips that day for us.
Remember that you can trust him, that he's right, that he's true, and that you mean more to him than all of his creation. Trust him. There was treasures within his scars. There's fortunes beyond these stars. He is mighty to save. Your heart is his forever. Let's pray.